we had a reading from a part, I was given three chapters, I love it when I come here, they either give you the most difficult theological uh, book in the whole Bible, just do it in the morning Richard, no problem, or else they give you three or four chapters and you just got to give the overview. So tonight, today, we'll be doing a bit of a helicopter look at this story of uh, Jacob and uh, Esau. Um, if we could have that uh, first slide. Oh, I've got it, have I? Yeah, fantastic. So there you go. It's all about a birthright and it's about someone selling themselves uh, uh, for a meal or selling their inheritance for a meal and it's about relationships and about marriages and about all sorts of complicated things. But I wonder, I want to ask you a couple of questions. How is your family going? Is everything working out perfectly for you? I'm sure it is. No problems at all with your sons or your daughters. Uh, you all get along well. The siblings uh, get along really well together. The cousins never fight. There's no family feuds. It's not like we heard about this thing earlier at Christmas where life gets a bit messy on Christmas Day. Some say it's the worst day of the year for family tension and problems. What about your parents? If you've still got your parents, how are they doing? Has their hair gone grey and they're getting complicated and, and difficult and sick? You've got to find a nursing home for them and they don't want to go into a nursing home but you know they can't look after themselves. I'm sure that's all going very easily for all of you. What about your kids? Whether they're young or old, are they well behaved? Are they living as you would love them to live? Are they walking with Jesus? Um, has everything gone well with your grandkids? How are they doing? How's your relationship with your grandchildren? What sort of influence do you have with your grandchildren? No issue with grandparents. Cousins are all happy. You know, we're just one big happy family, really, aren't we? And when we come to church, you know, we, uh, we're the same. There's no problems between any of us. We all agree theologically about the same things and everything goes very smoothly. How am I doing? Anyone agree with everything I've said that's the way your life is? If that is the way your life is, I'd love to meet with you because I need your counselling. Because clearly I've done something, Julie and I have done something drastically wrong with our lives and we need you to give us your wisdom and advice about why things don't always work out as we expect them. And you know what? It's okay. Nothing has changed in 3,800 years. Because right from the early days in our earlier book of Genesis, we see that there were problems, there were issues, that there were family feuds, there were differences between sons and daughters, fathers and, and, uh, and parents, or fathers and, and children, and that is the way I think life is. And something I want to, uh, you know, we talk about a modern family. Now I know most of you will hate this program, as I sort of do. I've got this love-hate relationship with this television program. I hate it because of all it represents, but it, I find it fascinating because of the insight it gives us to the current issues that we are all going to have to deal with. We can bury them, but these are the issues. So you've got a nicely married couple, you've got the second marriage with the Latino wife who's very high maintenance, that girl, she's gorgeous but she's high maintenance and then the gay couple have adopted a little child and you think as Christians you know, we shouldn't be watching this stuff, maybe we shouldn't be but you know what, I look at that thing occasionally, I have a laugh but I also think you know, it's an insight, it's like looking through a window and seeing the sort of community that sits outside there and that we as a church, we as Christians have to minister to We've got a gay friend, he's been friends for 45 years. He stayed in our home this week. We see him on a regular basis. We love him to bits. He's complicated. Uh, he he, uh, he uh, walks with the Lord. He was, probably wouldn't fit mainstream evangelical brethren Christianity. 
But you know what? He loves Jesus and he lives his life better than some Christians who claim to be Christians. And John stayed in our home and we spent some time with him and this, just this last week he said, you know what? He said, of all the people I've ever known in my life, you were the only Christians who have stuck with me. I'm not saying that to make ourselves look clever because we're not. We don't see him often enough and we're busy. But you know what? Modern family, it's complicated. Life is complicated and we have to learn to embrace, to, to use our faith to embrace the communities in which God has placed us. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everything that they do and the way they live, but that's what it is. And this morning, if you take nothing else away from you, I want to say as we learn to obey God, we can navigate the complexities of life confident that God knows the path ahead. And it's about our obedience to God, our obedience to what God wants us to do. And it's about learning to obey him and to do what Jesus said. Children are a gift from God and, uh, and they're very, very special and, and God has used uh, children as a way of, of keeping us honest and keeping us focused and keeping us trusting in him. We've got a 20, is he 29 now? 29 and a 27 year old and uh, Philip the younger one got married last November. What a blessing to see Philip married uh, um, and uh, a beautiful wife. Uh, she doesn't know the Lord. Philip made a commitment when he was younger and we pray for them. We pray that God will one day help them both to be coming and being involved in a fellowship somewhere. Did we do something wrong? Possibly. But are they in God's hands? Certainly. And can we trust God to look after them? Certainly. And can we have the confidence that God knows the path ahead? Most certainly. So we've got this story this morning of uh, Jacob and Esau. And uh, these two children are a gift from God. Two boys... But the Bible tells us they were both opposites, very, very opposite in the, in the way they, uh, the way they uh, looked after themselves. The first was uh, born was Esau and he was covered in red hair and Esau actually means hairy. So how was that? Your baby's born and we say, oh, we'll call him hairy. <laughs> that would go down really well in our culture, wouldn't it? And Jacob came out when he was born, he was hanging on to the heel of, of Esau literally hanging on to this heel. So they called him Jacob, which means he grasps the heel and it's a, a bit of an idiom uh, in the day which actually means he's a deceiver. So Jacob's name was Deceiver and Esau's name was Harry. And we think we're bad with nicknames in Australia. Harry and uh, Deceiver. There's two good names for your kids. Think about that. Suggest it to your daughter when she's uh, due to have her baby. And we see that Esau was a hothead and, uh, and Rebecca uh, favoured uh, Jacob. Esau was a hothead and got on well with his dad. He liked hunting and fishing and shooting. Oh, there's no shooting there, but hunting and fishing. And uh, he loved to go off to the wilderness and that's why the, the passage that was read to us this morning was, you know, the smell, the father, Isaac, could smell his son. He knew that it smelt like game, animal skins, blood, you know, all that really nice smelling stuff. And he was out in the fields hunting. And, uh, and Jacob was a homeboy. He was a homebody. He liked being on the computer, playing the PlayStation, sitting at home watching TV uh, with Rebecca, his mum. And Rebecca and uh, Jacob were very close and Isaac and Esau were very close. But the interesting thing is, two parents, each having a different favourite child, as I'm sure there's a lesson we can learn there, two brothers who were the complete opposites of each other. You couldn't get more opposites. And when these boys were in, uh, in uh, Rebecca's womb, they were fighting inside the womb. 
and she inquired of God and said, what is it about these boys? He said, you've got two nations inside you and, and they are already contesting uh, that, uh, that point. So, um, as firstborn, Esau, Esau was going to succeed Isaac as the head of the family. Firstborn gets the head of the family and they get a double share of the estate. So, they get twice as much as the other siblings and plus they get the spiritual blessing of the father. So double the estate and the spiritual blessing and that meant wealth and prosperity and that was going to be their uh, choice for being the firstborn. So Esau pops out first. He was due for that much uh, acknowledgement in their family. Jacob's hanging on to his heel and the deceiver, the name deceiver, actually wasn't too uh, bad a description for him. So what happens is that he sells his birthright. Esau comes in from the field famished having been hunting and, and uh, homeboy Jacob's making a pot of stew. He says, give me some of that stew, I'm starving. And Jacob's very, very sneaky, he says, sell me your birthright and I'll give you some stew. And Esau being the hothead, redheaded, said, ah, oh, what good is it having a birthright if I die of hunger? Here, you can have the birthright and, and give me something to eat, I'm starving. And the Bible says that he despised his, uh, his birthright. He despised what God had given him as, uh, as the honour of being the firstborn. And what I want to just quickly uh, talk about or uh, highlight to you is that there are three things I want to say. First of all, that life is complicated and I can promise you if it hasn't got messy yet, it will. Not to be negative or to say that God doesn't care, but life is complicated and it does get messy. The second thing is that God knows the path ahead. And if we look at scripture, right from Adam, right through to, uh, to Jesus, we look at that genealogy and you go through that genealogy and there's some pretty interesting people in there and some pretty interesting circumstances. The third thing is that all God requires of us is our obedience to follow him, to be faithful to him and we can trust him for that path uh, as it goes forward. So, but as, as we learn to obey God, we can navigate the complexities of our lives confident that God knows the path ahead of us. So, life is complicated and that little illustration just reminds me how complicated it can be. But Esau had despised his heritage and there is no condemnation in the Bible that says uh, anything negative about Jacob buying Esau's birthright. The Bible doesn't condemn him for that and I'm not sure of the cultural uh, ramifications, but the Bible does talk very clearly about Esau who despised or gave away his birthright. Isaac is clearly... Uh, um, the, so Sorry, I was going to say Isaac is deceitful. Yeah, actually, and earlier in the story, Isaac was deceitful when he uh, moved to a particular area. He said, oh, this isn't my wife, this is my sister. And he was deceitful, and so there was lies and deceit already in the family. And Jacob actually uh, used lies and deceit to, uh, to get not only the birthright but also the blessing as you'll see later on. Esau went and married the wrong girls, two girls. He married two women but he married them from a tribe that was not uh, um, a God-fearing tribe. They were idolat- idol worshippers, they were idolatrous. And so the Bible says that he married these two girls, uh, Esau married these two girls from a different tribe and they gave grief to Isaac and Rebecca. Or Isaac and Sarah, excuse me. No, Isaac and Rebecca. <laughs> he gave grief to the parents. He married the wrong girls. He married uh, uh, people who were uh, idolatrous. 
and it gave them a, a lot of difficulty. So Rebecca and Jacob had a plot that was to deceive Isaac and get him to give the father's blessing to the younger son who had already bought the birthright. So what can we learn from this? What, uh, what can we learn in terms of a takeaway for us? First thing I think is that um, we cannot control everything around us. There are circumstances that are outside of our level of control. We have a, a circle of influence and we have a circle of control and then outside of that we've got no chance. Secondly, we must learn to allow God to use external circumstances to direct us. When, we, uh, when I'm praying and asking God to guide me and lead me and show me what he wants me to do, um, scripture, my own prayer life, the voice inside me, the Holy Spirit speaking to me, along with external circumstances, will be the way that God uses to guide me. Any one of them on their own, I don't think does it for me. But when I combine my daily Bible reading, my prayer, my seeking God, the advice of others and external circumstances, that's a very powerful combination uh, in order to understand what God wants for us. So we must learn to allow God to direct our um, circumstances and use that to direct us. We need to walk with him uh, day by day and learn to hear his voice and direction. And we don't need to lie and to cheat and to deceive and to help God out uh, as we've read in the story this morning. You know, people were helping God out uh, because you know, God couldn't do it on his own. You've learned about uh, um, the delay and you probably studied it earlier. Is that you know, Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah when they had Isaac. They helped God out by allowing Abraham to sleep with a slave girl. And that woman, uh, that woman Hagar gave birth to a fellow called Ishmael. And Ishmael was the father of the Arab nation and the start of Islam. So helping God out can sometimes cause things to go very pear-shaped very quickly. And so let's use circumstances, let's allow God to use circumstances to buffer us in the direction he wants us to go, but that must be coupled with prayer, with reading, with advice from others. As we learn to obey God, we, cannot, uh, we can navigate the complexities of our lives and we can be confident that God knows the path ahead. And often we do get to a path like that where there's a fork. Do I go left or do I go right? And actually I believe, in my own experience, God actually gives you a peace. Sometimes what God tells me to do is illogical and counterintuitive to what I think in my own wisdom. But when I've, had the, when I've been brave enough to, to follow the, the less obvious and to do something that seems a bit out of sync because I really believe that's where God takes me. God blesses. And God opens up ways and does things uh, which I could never imagine uh, without that. So, second thing is that God knows what's ahead of us. And uh, the great quote from C.S. Lewis, there are far, far better things ahead than anything we leave behind. And we need to have God's perspective. God sees the beginning from the end. We're in the middle of something. And if any of you keep a diary or you look back over your diary and you write down what your thoughts were, when you go back and look at it a year later or two years later, think, oh, what was I worrying about? It really turned out okay in the end anyway. And, uh, and that's the same with God. We can trust God because he knows what, what's ahead. There was famine in the land of Canaan. People were heading for Egypt and God told Isaac to stop in a place called Gerar in the south of the Gaza Strip. And the locals protected them and God blessed Isaac in his harvest. So instead of going down to Egypt to get food, God said, no, I want you to stop here. Well, hang on, everyone's going to Egypt. No, I want you to stop here. And when he obeyed God and he heard God's voice and he obeyed God, God blessed him 
in an amazing way. And he gave a promise to Isaac. He said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Don't fear a thing because I am with you. I will bless you and make your children flourish because of Abraham, my servant. And when we obey God, he blesses us. It's not always materially. It's not always in ways that we would like to think. It's not stuff. But God blesses us in ways that we can never understand. And when we stop and hear the voice of God and we learn to obey him, then we can rest in his hands knowing that he is in control. And so what, what, uh, what's the application for us? And I think it's simply this. No matter what challenges we face, we do not do it on our own. If we are Christians and we say we love God and we serve him, we are not on our own. God is looking after us and God is providing for us and God is in control of our lives. We just have to rest in him. There is comfort and support being part of God's family. We can share our pain and our hurts with each other. We shouldn't gossip it around the place, but we can share with others and we as Christians can be a support for one another when the going gets tough. Matthew 18 verse 20 says, For where two or three come together in my name, I am with them. And that refers to a fellowship, to a church, to a home group, to a family, where two or three people are together in the name of Jesus, God has promised that he will be with us. And that's why it's good to get counsel from others. That's why it's good to share with a soulmate, to have a friend or a couple of friends you can go to and say, here's my circumstance, here's the situation. I have a very good friend, he's been staying with us, with his family this weekend. Girls went shopping, Bridge Road, don't go there, it's too expensive. Um, and I, he and I went out for lunch and we went, of course, what all boys do on a Saturday, we went to Bunnings afterwards, just for a wander around. Needed one thing, came out with this many things. <laughs> But uh, Rod's a close mate and we we share together and I encourage him uh, and he encourages me and I can tell him anything uh, in my life and he can tell me anything in his life and we share about family, we share about marriages, we share about business, we share about um, the projects and and the poor and the opportunities to bless them. So it's great to have a soulmate and to be able to share. But in spite of the size of the problem, God already knows and he already understands what's ahead of us and uh, he puts our faith on trial. So what we know in our heads and what we actually, how we act it out are often two different things. And then the third point is sim- God simply requires our obedience. God simply asks us to obey him and to follow him. And it is our gift to God. If we are obedient, it's, it's an act of worship. Worshiping is singing, it's praying, it's all those things. But I, I actually hadn't thought about obedience as being an act of worship. When we obey God, it shows our um, worship and our love for him. Isaac uh, wanted to go against what God had told them and gave, uh, and he, they tricked his blessing uh, out of Esau and it was given to Jacob. And uh, you read that he put the skin on and he smelt like him and all uh, Isaac's senses were saying, well, he smells like my son, he feels hairy like my son and, uh, and the stew that he made was, was as good as my son cooks. But his voice isn't quite right. But you know, all the other senses are right and so I'll just go and bless them anyway. And sometimes unless everything lines up in our lives, unless we get all those things together, if there's a niggle in the back of our minds that says don't do it, listen to that voice. If there's a niggle in the back of our minds that says I want you to do this and I know you'll think it's weird but just do it for me, then listen to that voice. And that will line up with everything else uh, that we're involved in. 
Rebecca uh, set up this thing, cheated uh, um, Esau out of the blessing. He already had the birthright, but he got the blessing. And uh, that was a, a very interesting story. I've got a friend of mine who works for OM. He lives in Lebanon. Uh, his hobby is to go off to the desert with a GPS and hang out with the Bedouins uh, in Syria. I don't think he's doing it at the present time. He's looking after refugees. But he said, when I go and I sit with them, he speaks fluent Arabic, he said, I tell them the stories of the Old Testament. He said, they love it and they laugh and they soak up every little nuance of the story because they understand the cultural context in which it's told. And they say, where do you get this and where do you get these stories from? And he's able to point them to the Bible. So we can't fully grasp the cultural implications of some of this. But what we can do is take some lessons and say, well, what's God saying to us? He wants us to obey him and his word. He will work out his purpose through our weakness. In spite of us, God will work out his purpose. The lineage of Adam to Jesus, as I said earlier, is a litany of adulterous relationships, cheating, lying, stealing, uh, prostitutes. They're all there in that lineage between Adam and Jesus. We have an amazing God. We have a God who is gracious. We have a God who forgives. We have a God who uses us in spite of ourselves and uh, we are part of the kaleidoscope of, uh, of God's plan and all we've got to do is we learn to obey God we can navigate the complexities of life as we know it in the 21st century and we can be confident that God knows the path ahead I'm going to ask you to close your eyes bow your heads and just reflect on what God may have been saying to you Maybe just one thing that uh, I have said that will stand out for you and God saying, I want you to fix this. I want you to pray about that. I want you to go and fix up that relationship. I want you to go and say sorry to that person. I wonder what it is that God's saying to you and to me as a result of being here this morning and worshipping. I'm just going to give you a, a minute, a 30 seconds, just to think about that, to pray yourself before God and to put that thing right or to confess it before the Lord if you've done something wrong, or afterwards to, to plan this week to go and put that thing right within your family, to, obe- to be obedient to God's voice, that little quiet voice which says, this is what you need to do, and if you're willing to trust me in this, I will give you the strength, and in the complexities of what you're dealing with, I am with you and will help you through it, because I know your pathway from the beginning to the end. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the relevance of your word. I know that you've placed most of us in complex family situations and it's way beyond us to know how to do it. But Lord, we cast ourselves on you. I pray that you'll help each one of us to be followers of Jesus that will show by our example and our love and our uh, grace that we show in our lives that we follow you. And Lord, may you draw us to reach out to people that uh, we find it hard to connect with. May people see you living in us and that we will reflect your love and your care and your forgiveness and your patience and your long-suffering and, Lord, that people will be drawn to you as a result of our testimony. We pray for the relationships. I know they get complicated. We confess that we don't always get it right. Forgive us for when we get angry, when we become judgmental, when we annex people because it's just too hard. Lord, will you give us the wisdom and the grace to be obedient to you and we know that you have promised to help us through the complexities of our life. 
Lord bless us this week, bless us in our relationships. Thank you for speaking to us and I pray that each one of us will take that one thing you've said and we'll uh, we'll take it to heart and act on that in this coming week. We thank you for your love, we thank you for your grace and we just commit our way to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.